There is freedom waiting for you on the breezes of the sky. And you ask, what if I fall? Oh, but my darling, what if you fly? This is a poem by Aaron Hansen. Hi, it's Maya. And Zach from This Person I Met. Recently, we talked to my neighbor Patty. She is a mom of three young children, just like any other mom you meet every day in your suburban neighborhood. But what surprised us was that we found out that she had an adventurous life when she was young in the 90s. Patty shared stories of how she flew airplanes as a hobby in the old time without a GPS and other dangerous activities she challenged. She took full advantage of being a young person, knowing that you're only young once and being so is a privilege. She understood that there are so many things to do in the world and leave to any chance to try something new. I've been flying to say this to you. Oh, for flying out loud, time will simply fly by. So please, buckle up, we're ready to take off. Can you introduce yourself? Oh, I'm Patricia Lynn. We've heard you have an experience with flying. We were really fascinated. When and how did it happen? So it happened when I first moved to Seattle, and I didn't know anybody but my sister, and I was staying with, I had just finished graduate school, so I was looking for a job. And um, after I found a job, I started then trying to see about what was available in the area. I always like to check out what's in the, available in the area. And, um, you know, Seattle is where Boeing's based, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of aviation in the area. So there's a, two airports. There's one, the main one, SeaTac, where people fly into. There's also another one called Boeing Field, where it's a smaller one, but that's where Boeing does a lot of their t- its testing. Mm-hmm. And I would drive by it all the time. I thought, what about trying flying? I've never tried it. So I took an intro flight yeah. and became hooked on it. So it's just a fascinating, it's, it's an incredible feeling to yeah. take off and go off up in the air and then when you're landing, you feel kind of invincible. So um, that's what got me started in it. And um, quite a long time ago, this is like in the 90s. Would you say that's like that feeling of just being invincible is why you decide to learn how to? Well, I, I always like challenges, first of right. all. And, um, and it was just thrilling to be up in the air too and see everything down below you. And you're in small airplanes, so you're moving pretty slowly. It's not like being in a big airplane, you know? Um, it was just fascinating to be able to see everything. And uh, I, I tell people that it's just a different feeling, you know? And I was looking for some sort of hobby to pursue, and this sounded very interesting, and I really I really liked it at the time. So what type of plane did you fly? Like a commercial plane? or It's just it's a single engine. Um, it's a prop plane four-seater. It's a prop plane, so I mean it has a propeller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a high-wing plane versus a low-wing plane. It's called a Cessna 172. Oh. I've piloted a 152, which is a little bit smaller, but only because I started a, a instructor's rating, and you can only do, um, you have to do some of your training in 152 for the instructor's rating, because you have to be able to, to spin. Um, you have to purposely s- start spinning because uh-huh. it's, it's to simulate getting out of the you know nose diving and you, you have to you have to wear a, a parachute and everything yeah. and the door and this doors pop out too oh, if you wow. need to oh wow it's quite scary oh i'm um, kind of going back you said uh the biggest one you rode was a four-seater yeah um were you allowed to take any cust- or passengers along yeah or? i did t- i took passengers yeah like for a sightseeing or well i i just 
I didn't have a commercial rating at the time. There's different ratings. So I have a, as a private pilot, you're just doing it for yourself. Yeah. You can't charge anybody, right? Um, in the Seattle area, it's very um, rainy and cloudy. With There's visual flight rules and instrument flight rules. So under visual, you have to be able to see the airport. You have to be able to see where you're going. Um, if you can't, if you only have a private pilot license without the instrument rating, you cannot go if it's foggy. You can't, if the conditions say such, that you can't, you won't be able to see, you can't go. So I got an instrument rating because you use, when you can't see, you literally use your instruments to tell you, it's not like a GPS where it tells you where to go, but you use your instruments to guide you. You know this airport's lined up at this degree, it's at this place. So you have, you, you have to plot everything out before you go. Um, especially if you're doing instrument rating because you need to know where you're at. So I got an instrument rating and then I, then I got a commercial rating. Then I, I could charge if I wanted to, but I was also very limited in what I could do because of the type of rating. I was only limited to 172. Um, all sorts of certain conditions under which you can charge, you know. Mm-hmm. With all the instruments you mentioned, is it really hard and complicated to just know where you're going? You have to trust your, first of all, you trust your instruments and you do a pre-check every time you take the plane out. Um, it is initially, but then you, you, you kind of learn to understand, you know, this. you have an altimeter which shows you the, where, where you're at, and then you also have your, your compass which shows you what direction. Today, I'm sure that the instruments they have are way different than what we had. So in the old days, they had um, charts for like for every airport, you, you literally buy a chart. You know, it's like a, just a thin piece of paper, but you, you usually buy a whole binder full of certain area you wanted. And before you, you take off and say you want to land this airport, you take the, there's also um, an area chart that shows the entire area. You kind of plot where you want to go. Um, you have a timer too, because also if you know what speed you're going at um, and how long it is, you know how, long, you know how many minutes it'll take to do certain things. So use this timing to be able to land when you can't see mm-hmm. the airport. But you, you're, you're not allowed to land unless you can see the numbers at the end of the runway. Because you have to at least be able to see that because then you don't know if you're on the ground or yeah. not, right? Yeah. But you could literally go around the pattern. There's a pattern that you have to go around without seeing. But if you come down to the, come down to the numbers and you can't see it, you can't land. Yeah, so, so there's all sorts of tools that we used. And I'm sure that these days it's quite different, you know. With the GPSs weren't common then. Definitely didn't have GPSs in the car. So I'm sure today... These are very old airplanes too, right? So I don't know if like, the flight school has updated them or not, you know? I'm not, I, I'm not really good with directions on the ground. In Seattle, it's pretty easy to kind of, it's easier to tell where you're at because there's a lot of trees and you see a lot of um, power lines cut out in where the trees are. So it's easier to follow. Well, I was, um, for work, I had gone to Dallas for a conference um, I decided I'm going to rent an airplane while I'm down there because I've not flown in that area. So I rented an airplane. Um, Dallas is very flat. I didn't know where I was, <laughs> even though I did file a flight plan. So I always file a flight plan. If you file a flight plan, you're in communications with the tower, yeah. you know, um, and they know where you're at because you've given them all your information because each plane has a tag on it so they can track where you're at. So I had to literally use them to... They had to kind of guide me back to the airport because I got a little disorientated and I didn't know exactly where I was. <laughs> so that was kind of scary. And another time, 
Um, there's a couple other instances, which was my, I don't know how I got off track, but um, again, it was a good thing I was on a flight plan. I was over a military base, and you're not allowed to fly over military bases. Oh, no. <laughs> and they warned me that I was there. But they knew I was there, so they knew, if they hadn't known, they might have come you know, right. out. But they knew who I was, they knew I was there, and I just went around. Um, another time I thought I was, there's a, in Seattle area, there's a lot of little airports, which is what I like to land on, right? I thought I was lining up for an airport, and I kept calling my pattern, and I didn't hear anybody calling, so I thought maybe I'm the only pilot there, right? Because you always hear other pilots, because they call where they're at so that you know where they're at. And I started lining up, and as I came down to what I thought was a runway, I see cars on it. Oh. It was a, it was a racetrack. Oh. <laughs> it looked just like an airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not just like it, but it had that you know that. <laughs> so I made a lot of mistakes. Um, luckily, nothing is dangerous, and that's why I always fly a fly a yeah. flight plan, <laughs> so people know where I'm at, you know, and they're following where you're at. So you met a lot of new people doing the. Yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily. Uh, socialize much with the people, but um, you get to know everybody there. You know, all the all, all the teachers, the other pilots, uh, the owner of the flight school, and, and you know, just talking about flying with with the instructors because there's a certain path that um, you know you see commercial pilots take um, that people don't know about. You know, it's it's a very tough field to break into, and you have to accept that you make no money for a long time, you know. So it's very expensive. It's very expensive. Mm -hmm. So what pilots do when they first start out is you have to build a certain number of hours. You keep a log of how how much you fly and based on which, how many hours you can do certain things, right? Um, When you get a, when you first fly by yourself, you have to have a certain number of hours. When you get your ratings, you have to have a certain number of hours. Renting a plane and renting an instructor, because if you haven't soloed, if you're not checked off to fly by yourself, you have to hire an instructor to go along with you too. So you have the instructor and the plane that you're paying for. You know, a lot of people that want to go into aviation as they're, you know, become a pilot, they work hard to save up the money to be able to fly. And then you try, um, you try to get some free hours maybe flying with somebody else because when two pilots are flying, you can both get hours for it, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you split a plane with them. But after you get your pilot's license, what they do is they teach a lot of them teach, and the reason they teach is because you get an hour of flying for every hour you're teaching. So that's kind of a cheaper way of building up hours. But when you're teaching, you're not really making a lot. I mean, yeah. I, we pay a high price, but the club takes quite a bit of it, right? So they do that for a while. A lot of them have second jobs because mm-hmm. you, you can't live off of this. The goal is to try to get on with a small regional airline, you know, like this, the smaller planes that you know that you see between short hops between mm-hmm. different cities, those don't pay a whole lot. So some of them are living on, on uh, food stamps. Because there was a big thing at our flight school where they said, um, the, the pilots are talking about that uh, some airlines don't allow you to go into the food stamp office with a uniform because they don't want people to know that you're on food stamps. Wow. That they got paid so little. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, so you really have to want to do this. Yeah. Um, if, if you, and it's a long haul, right? The goal of these pilots is to get checked out in different planes, right? So then they can fly with different planes for these airlines and to get bigger and bigger planes. And the way you do is by building up hours in a certain type of plane and then, you know, 
getting hired for another bigger plane and a bigger plane. And then, you know, but by the time you're um, like a captain, you could be flying once a month and getting the full amount. Um, captains get paid pretty well for the major airlines. So that is their end goal. It's a good job later on. I mean, if you're very senior, you barely fly and you get paid very well. It's very tough to get there. Does being a pilot affect your decision-making skills or like just affect your thinking in general? Well, um, there was a lot of studying that went into getting the pilot's license. You have to take written tests as well, in addition to flying tests. Maybe more aware of what's around me, because I really had to watch where I was. You had to look for those landmarks, because the charts show you all the landmarks. You really have to look at it. And obviously I've made mistakes. I thought I, I was yeah. somewhere where I wasn't. Yeah. makes you well aware of that. But it, it gave me a new appreciation for, you know, how hard people have to work, like these pilots have to work yeah. really hard for this. And I learned a lot of science, too, about the, the whole science behind um, flying. The air is moving faster, you know, over the wing than under the wing. And so there's all these, it's the Bernoulli effect. The movement of the air over the wings yeah. is what makes you fly. I don't know, it was a good release, you know, for me. Because I had a very technical, you know, I was... A computer engineer before, and then this job I was uh, doing statistics, you know, I was in the office crunching numbers, developing forecasting models, programming, so it was, it's something completely different. It was kind of a, an escape. Um, just like anything in life, you have to work really hard if you want to get somewhere. And also, I kept moving up because I wanted to be a better pilot. Um, the reason I got all these, these ratings is because I wanted to be the safest pilot I could be, and I figured the more training I got, the safer I would be. Um, when was the last time you flew an airplane? Oh gosh, so that was the 98. I quit when I bought a house. <laughs> oh, is that why you quit? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very expensive. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't doing it for any purpose except having fun. And um, frankly, my, my parents didn't like it, me flying. Um, they thought it was dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So my mom kept offering to help me buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you'd stop? Well, I'm sure wanted me to buy a house, but I think that was probably the driving force. Uh -huh. We'll give you the down payment, you know. Why don't you buy a house? Why don't you buy a house? You know? <laughs> and I bought a house, and all of a sudden I can't afford flying anymore. Yeah. Do you miss it, though? Um, I do sometimes, but I kind of feel like it was a stage of my life, too. You know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Just like a lot of stuff I've done, a lot of it was fun, but I don't have the time for it. And, I'm quite a bit older. I don't have the energy for it either. <laughs> uh, did you do any other adventurous activities besides flying? Uh, I used to race sailboats. Wow. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. I raced all sorts of different types from everything from like a 14-footer to a 50-footer. Mm -hmm. um, this one race a couple of times from San Diego to Cabo San Lucas, uh, Mexico. Yeah. It takes several days. Um, done other mostly on the west coast when I was living in California I've done a lot of racing up and down the, the coast there I've actually done some in Lake St. St. Clair I don't know if that's Lake Michigan is it on Lake Michigan? I'm not sure okay. yeah. but I got recruited by a team that had gone out west they needed another member so when I was living in California I came to Michigan to do a race too um, I also used to scuba dive I used to rock climb I used to ski a lot I used to run marathons so, like competitively or just as for fun? For fun. I did, this was really fun. I did, um, it's a 200 mile race, road, you know, running race. <laughs> it's called the Seattle to Portland. You're running from Seattle to Portland. Uh -huh. it's, it's a fun race. So what 
because you're going for quite a long time and it obviously spans overnight. What, what people do is they get, they rent two vans, six people in one, six people in another, because you, cause you, it's a relay, right? Yeah. Um, while the one van is running, the other one's trying to sleep. <laughs> you know, because you don't get a whole lot of sleep, yeah. but it's a, it's a huge race. We would sleep in a, like a, one time it was a, a church, another time it was a athletic club, because they rent out their floor space. Yeah. And you just, because you're literally just getting a couple hours of sleep. Uh-huh. Or you could sleep in the van, but it's kind of hard to sleep in the van. And I also did a bike race. I did it with a good friend. It's a 200 mile bike ride. Those, those were a lot of fun. Uh-huh. And then I've done a couple marathons, you know. I was into running at the time, and I had a friend who we both wanted to do. I'd been wanting to do a marathon for a while, but it's hard to, to run, as you know, on your own. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do it by yourself. But once I got her involved, we kind of pushed each other, and we mm-hmm. kept running. So we did, you know, half marathons, and we did, did a couple marathons, and then I started doing these other races, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I first learned to scuba dive in Australia when I, because I did my MBA in Australia, mm-hmm. and so I learned to scuba dive there. A lot of these things, I was, I was single at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of fun, and I made a lot of friends through these, yeah. act, these activities. This is kind of a generic question we ask everyone we interview, but do you have any advice for people like us? Well, I think, um, you know, working hard, you should always look at the effort you put into something versus the outcome. Mm -hmm. Don't be disappointed if, you know, even with a lot of effort, something doesn't come through. I took took, uh, statistics in undergraduate, you know, I was a computer engineer at Michigan. Never understood that class, (laughs) you know, and hated statistics. Well, then I decided in graduate school to concentrate in statistics and finance because then all of a sudden I found it interesting and then I understood it. So never be discouraged if you don't get the result you want. Um, look at the effort that you put into it and be proud of whatever effort you put into it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have to work for whatever you, you want. It doesn't just, it's not just given to you. And as long as you put the effort into it, you know, just always, my advice would just be always work hard, but don't be too hard on yourself. Give yourselves breaks. Um, it's been great having you on. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.